0: this is the mudroom uncommon sense parenting classes with your parenting coach alana robinson weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers preschoolers and kindergartners more effectively with less effort the mudroom is recorded live on facebook every wednesday at 1 p.m eastern 10 a.m pacific now here's alana hello everyone welcome to the mudroom our weekly free uncommon sense parenting class Today is our first interview episode, and I am very excited to introduce you to my guest, Alex Leach. Alex is a parenting and neurodiversity coach for parents of teens, and her aim is to support parents in raising independent, self-directed, resilient adults. Our conversation today is about parental burnout, why it happens, how to recognize it, and some ways to deal with it. Alex is autistic and has ADHD and has two autistic children as well, so she comes into this conversation with an absolute wealth of knowledge. Before we get into it though, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Alana Robinson, and I'm a parenting coach for parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners. I help you understand why your kids are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. I'm your host here on The Mudroom. I'm also the host of the Parenting Posse Facebook group, and I'm the creator of the Parentability program where I help you raise well-behaved kids who listen. If you're new here, don't forget to like and subscribe so that you never miss another class. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. So welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you, Alana. This is a long time coming. I'm so
1: excited to
0: actually be here with you today. I am so excited for us to have this chat. Before we get started, why don't you just give us a little intro to who you are, what you do, how we came to know each other. (laughs) Oh, through social media. And we keep
1: You know, we have a lot of people in common that we know and we work in very similar, you know, we're in the parenting realm for beggars for punishment. We work with parents, you know, Uh, I love my parents. I work with families that are raising neurodivergent kids why i have adhd and undiagnosed autism my kids are both autistic with multiple diagnoses like you could put alphabets at the end of our names when you describe all the uh, conditions that we have and i've been a regulated health professional for over 23 years and through working with families i just kept hearing the cry and then people are like you were doing this for your family can you do this for other people? And people just started coming and that's, it was just this natural evolution to become Alex Leach and D consulting. That's my company. And, uh, yes. And, um, and here I am. And it's really, you know, what as parents, our best intentions are always to to help our children and serve our children, support our children. But I think sometimes what happens is the more, you know, help that we get and we we reach out, we start to lose a little bit of that power of a a part of us being, you know, a a major part in our, obviously, the major part in our children's uh, success, like happiness. And that is how it's the parental influence, right? So we're asking our kids that have challenges, whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent, we're asking them to do all this. And, you know, when you look at the mirror, I know I look in the mirror and I sometimes don't like what I see is that I am not always doing you know, following those rules myself, right? And that was a big turning point. And when I started looking at me and taking, as I call it, the coach approach to parenting, right? Then I realized, wow, this actually really makes a difference in the home. And when the home is calmer and there's less friction, no matter the age of your child, our children are able to succeed outside the home, whether it's school or socially. And so that's how. Alex Leach and D Consulting came to be that's how I met you and you know it's thank you for what you're doing
0: oh thank you it's this is part of what I love about the coaching kind of space is that we make so many awesome connections and there's so many ways to skin a cat so to speak and the different ways that we're all kind of attacking the same problem aren't competing they're they're cohesive right they're all just kind of like just different pieces of the puzzle exactly exactly like it says
1: you take a village we take a posse right i'm reading the thing behind you and it it comes to a lot of uh, professionals and it's not to speak you know against any but when you're working in this realm (laughs) collaboration is a huge part of it so you know if it's I'm working with someone that I think could benefit from your services. I'm going to, because it really comes to the families that we're working with. We're trying to serve them the best that we possibly can. And sometimes it's knowing when that is us or when it's someone else. And so that's why it's this village that we're, you're thriving in.
0: So today we're talking about burnout and what it is, why it happens, how to deal with it. Whether you're dealing with a neurotypical child who is just presenting a lot of challenging behavior or whether you have a neurodivergent child in your life, I think all moms, dads, caregivers in any way, shape or form deal with this at some point in their parenting caregiving journey. So how do you define burnout and have you experienced it before? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like I don't want to
1: say it's my best friend, but it it shows up often, right? Because there's only so much that we as parents can can do, right? Like we have things coming at us all the time, like even just put, you know, work and our own relationships with our own families and our parenting partners aside, it's a full-time job raising kids, right? And then you have everything else. So you know, burnout is that where you're just, you know, it's almost like you become numb, you know, that's, that's like the starting, like I, for me, that was the number one indicator where I was becoming just a little more withdrawn. I wasn't depressed. I wouldn't classify as depressed or blue, but it just became sort of numb and tired and less engaged. And that in itself has a lot of Repercussions, right? Yeah. And I had the same
0: thing. Like, yeah. When I, and I hit kind of burnout in December ish this last year. And the big red flag for me was that I just wasn't feeling joy in anything like things that I would yeah. usually be super excited about or that I would at least be like, oh, isn't that wonderful? As you yeah. said, there was just numbness. Nothing was bringing any kind of emotion out of me. Yeah.
1: Burnout. It's one of those things that you know we we totally, as I said, you know, it's as as parents we don't classify ourselves as caregivers, but it's one of those things that um, we we judge ourselves for because we're not doing what we know we can do, right? And and it becomes this very vicious cycle, and we start beating ourselves up. And when we're always talking about you know you have to take good care of yourself and self care, which you know it's it's not going to the spa a lot of it sometimes is just accepting and and acknowledging that you're exhausted right and what are the small things like yes we'd all love to go to a spa but what are those small things that we can do sometimes it's just listening to a song that puts a smile on your face it's it's a slow process it's not something that you could just shake yourself out of right like if we could we all would,
0: because nobody wants to feel that way, right? Well, and I think you bring up a great point about systems that you kind of have to put in place to help deal with your burnout. Because I know like for me, every time that I've burnt out, it's almost always been a result of an old system no longer suiting your exactly. life.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, you hear those cliches saying the one constant in life is change. And we do change and things change. And it gets very, very frustrating when, especially when, you know, you're raising, you know, kids with complex challenges, right? And what works today doesn't necessarily work tomorrow. And you get part of burnout is that frustration, the exhaustion, the, oh my, and, and, oh my God, this is not what I signed up for. Like no parent wants to really address those things. And and that is also what leads to burnout is ignoring all those feelings, even big and small, um, that lead up to that. So it's putting systems in place. And if that system isn't, as you said, working, what is, you know, having the energy and you're like, oh, that's one
0: last thing I want to do. Like, cause it's, it's, it's hard to crawl out of at times. Right. Absolutely. And I find like, oftentimes when I'm dealing with clients who are burning out, it's because a system is no longer working for them, but it's probably still working for their child and, and, and or another family member. Right? right. And yeah. so then they feel guilty about having to change a system that is working for their kid but it is either putting too much mental load or emotional labor or physical labor onto them and exceeding their own capacity. And that kind of mom guilt around, I can't do this anymore, but I feel like I have to (laughs) because, or I can't hand it off to someone else because it's got to be me. And that's the thing, right? It's like somehow
1: no one intends to, but somehow there's this little bit of a martyr complex that comes in, right? If I'm not doing it, who else is going to do that? And, and some of the, you know, I'm thinking of a couple of clients in particular, right? It's the, you know, and, and my clients, the majority of my clients have kids that are autistic and ADHD and dyslexic and other brain brace differences, right? And challenges that way. And it's the, you know, they don't want to age shame. They don't, you know. But there's, you know, hygiene, and you're constantly this one in particular, you know, 17 year old son. They're still reminding me every three days you have to shower and and do this and 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 the parents are, you know, so involved and in, rightfully so, like to help their son. But what happens is it's it becomes such a routine, and we we experience that burnout but then sometimes we're also it turns into we go into overdrive and then we start helicoptering everything and it's okay if you know i said so what's the worst that can happen if your son doesn't have a shower every 3 days what's the worst yes yeah, you might get a little smelly you know but that we can deal with that another day or does it have to be you what about your you know or you know let's set a system in place again, another system that's gonna work for their son and it's having a conversation and that's the thing, it's about communication and collaboration. And you can't shoulder it all the time. And we think that we have to be so strong and if we don't do it, no one's gonna do it or the the family's gonna fall apart. And maybe sometimes it, it might a little bit be a little unshaky, but it's, you know, Is there somebody there that can help you, a parenting partner that lives in the same home or a parenting partner that doesn't, right? Or a friend or a, you know, a caregiver, a sitter, extended family, sometimes just saying, I need 10 minutes. Or even if it isn't anybody else, just saying, kids, I need 10 minutes.
0: I'm putting myself in a timeout, right? Right. I'm taking a moment. And my kids have started saying that to me now. They're like, mom, I think you need a moment. (laughs) But that's right. Like that's self-regulation and that's demonstrating self-regulation for modeling it for our children. Because I think we get this, and especially my clients, they'll get into this kind of headspace where they're like, I want my child to self-regulate. I want my child to self-regulate. And they're so focused on teaching their child to self-regulate that we forget that the way children learn best is by watching people who are more mature further down the road than them do it, and then they mimic it. And that's true no matter what neurotype you have. So it's, it's really something that we have to take care of ourselves and this is why like i'll say to my clients all the time i have a punching bag in the basement and if i can't deal with my kids or i feel like i'm gonna haul off on something i'll be like i need a minute i'm gonna go i'm gonna take care of myself and then i'll be back and deal with this for you and it's okay if they're still upset for you know that 20 minutes that i'm in the basement kicking the shit out of my punching bag (laughs) But (laughs) what that also does is it gives them that permission that when they feel like they need to hit something to say, I need a minute and to go and take that for themselves, right? Because if they don't see the adults do it, and oftentimes we as adults, we're, we're so proficient at keeping ourselves calm, even when we're really distressed Mm -hmm. that, we, you know, we've built in these very small regulation tactics that to our children aren't visible at all. Exactly. And
1: especially if you have children that have difficulty, you know, interpreting um, facial expressions and body language, right? And they, they see, for example, my son, happy, sad, mad. Those are the three facial expressions, right? so it comes right out of the blue he can't see that um he, that progression of me getting irritated so you look at it that way i'm actually doing him a disfavor of not showing so when i and if i don't lose it he doesn't know and then how am i going to teach him and i say this to my clients too how are you going to teach your children to show that it's okay to get upset it's okay to have those moments, but it's what you do and how you conduct yourself in those moments that make the difference. And those are the teachable moments. It is so easy to, you know, do something before or after, but it's in that moment. So, for example, I see a lot of times my clients, I said, you know, you can lose your shit. You could even swear, but. You can, but in that moment, right there, you can say, Oh, I am so sorry. Or I'm so frustrated with this situation, not at you. Right. And, and if we're not showing our children that in, you know, from an early age, even up to, you know, young adults into adults, if we don't show our children that we have emotion, how do we expect our children to show that emotion?
0: Exactly. And it's the same thing. Like a lot of my clients, their children are very perfectionist and they have a lot of anxiety around any of that imperfection. And one of the things that we talk a lot about is highlighting when you mess up. Because, you know, we spill milk on the counter and we just deal with it. We take a rag and we wipe it up and it's like it never happened. But to our children, when we don't highlight that that happened, they don't see it. And so then, when they spill the milk, or when they trip over something, or when they break something, it's the end of the world, and they live in fear because to them, our model is perfection.
1: I have I have a client and she was talking with me about her daughter and who is 13. Uh, most of my clients are sort of between that age of nine, ten to sixteen, seventeen. That's my. That's my zone of genius right there. Most people are like, I avoid those years like the plague, and I'm like, bring it on baby. Right. But, uh, so, but what happens is that the the, the, the mom is burnt out. The daughter is stressed and burnt out. No one's talking there. And then, um, it's this passive aggressiveness and they're so angry, but also tired at the same time. So when, and working with them, we're just like, what do you, you know, how does this make you feel? And they don't even want to share. So it starts, it's this, as we said before, it's a spiral because suddenly, there's these little micro traumas that happen within the family. It starts to erode the family, you know, the parent child relationship. And then that starts eroding, not irreparable, but it starts to erode the whole family dynamic. So it's like when that parent is burnt out or, and burnt out can be an absolute withdrawal. Burnt out could also be very explosive. It's, you know, it's, it's how you are in the moment. It could be sobbing. Right. It could be going to bed. You get up, get the kids out the door, and go back to bed. Right. Um, It's zoning out. It's it's an avoidance actually. And what happens is um, we just end up becoming numb and not feeling. And then there's no collaboration that's happening within the family. Right. And this back to this. I was going somewhere with this (laughs) back to my ADHD brain. Sorry. But this, this mother daughter relationship, right? When she's having, she's having challenges with her friends and everything else. She's withdrawn. She becomes, she goes, I don't want to be combative. I don't like conflict. And we're like, no, but now you're, you are not speaking up for yourself. You don't have to come at things and hitting them hard. But if you do not let people know how you were feeling or that they're doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable or hurts you, you know, how we behave is how we teach others to treat ourselves. Right. And (laughs) I just love what you're saying because
0: what I'm hearing is that burnout is a lack of honesty about your emotions and how you're feeling with yourself and with the people around you. And I love that. Like it's, it's this denial of what you're feeling and it's your reticence to share honestly with the people around you, how you're feeling. And Then you just become numb to that, right? And Exactly. How can we expect our children to be honest with us, not just about their emotions, but about what's going on in their lives if we're not honest with them? Exactly. And that and that's the thing too, right? Like, you know, I say to my
1: families, right? That we have to we're not mind readers, right? We are not mind readers. And I'm glad we're not, because I do not want my family to know what I'm thinking half the time, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like this, you know, it's when we do not share how we were, are feeling. Um, and, and, and that's the other thing too, as parents, you know, when we, we're not sharing what we're feeling and and I'm not talking about the heavy stuff, but just guys, I'm having a tough day today, right? Just give mom a bit of a break or give me 20 minutes, I'm having a tough time, right? That is teaching our children that when they're having a tough time, it's okay to have a little mini timeout to go collect yourself, right? It's that modeling, right? It's that modeling. And then also too, it's the whole point of um, we're we're teaching our kids to be productive and successful adults, right? And I mean success as in Happy, well adjusted, yes, to, you know, and, and fulfilling all their capabilities and abilities to be, you know, who they are truly and who they are meant to be. And, and if we are not teaching our children to be authentic, how can they experience an authentic life themselves? Right. And even just saying, I have to, vent. I don't need anybody to fix things. And that's a big thing too as a as you know a parent when we see our children um struggling or withdrawn, right? And they go through their own periods of burnout and we come in and we want to fix. And it is so it can be so overwhelming. And that creates even more tension. And sometimes if we and then we're like, well what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this? And you're just like, oh, there's that mirror. You know, you got to put that mirror in front of you and you have to say I'm just going to vent, right? Keep keep everything away from the you. Bring it into the I, right? And that is the first, and that's like one of the first lessons that, you know, or you know, teachings, pearls of wisdom, whatever you want to call them. And I'd say it's so easy to say, you guys are driving me nuts, right? Let's change that, right? You don't have to change how you're feeling, you just say, Oh, I'm get I'm being driven
0: nuts by this situation. I'm overwhelmed. Oh, that's a good one because like, and I'll be completely honest. Last night, I was not my best self. Um, I had a, a very I had a bad evening. My son slammed his own fingers in our front door. I'm still not entirely sure how. Um, <laughs> and my husband's deployed right now, so it's just me. I'm solo parenting, and then. We got stopped in the middle of the road by some random guy to, and he started yelling at me about my headlights and didn't like how my headlights were aimed, which I was like, okay. And he would not get back in his car, so I ended up having to call the police so that he would go. And then we get to the pool where my son was having his swim team practice and he we pull up and he goes, uh-oh, I forgot my swim bag. So we had to turn around, go all the way back home, oh. get his bag, bring it back. And by the time I got back to the pool, like I was just you know, at an 11, I was overwhelmed to the extreme. And I did. I said, y'all are driving me crazy. But I love that reframing of, it's not that y'all are driving me crazy. It's that I am super overwhelmed and overstimulated right now. And mommy just needs you to go and do something that isn't involving me because I need to calm down.
1: (laughs) And that's also too, we have to, we have to remember, right. As parents that, and this is, this is a big one. And this is, you know, this is, this was a big one for me when I was in the early days and searching for help. And, finding somebody that actually understood what I was going through was really, really difficult. You know, like 15, 16 years later, there's so much more conversation that's out there. Right. And more people like yourself and myself that get it because we've gone through it. We're not just book smart. We have the lived experience plus all the training and education. Right. And so when you are a parent and you are a caregiver and you're struggling, those are the things that you look for, do your due diligence, but it's hard when you're burnt out, right? So, and it's one of those things that, and it's such a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. You have to, as the care, main caregiver, or even the second, you know, the secondary caregiver, whomever you are, you're burnt out. You have to put that oxygen mask on first, and usually it is the mother or the main nurturer that burns out first because there is that you know, that emotional load, you know, there's everything else going on. Sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with our children or our partners. It has everything to do with the scheduling, you know, the bag left at the arena or the pool. Right. And it's like, we have to remember that these people, you know, whether they're little people or, you know, young adults, teenagers, whomever we are interacting with in that moment, that they are not, 99.9% of the time purposely forgetting things, dropping things, doing things, right. Experiencing things on purpose to make us lose our shit. Right. So in that moment, and it's hard because when you're the one that's burnt out, you're like, Oh, this is another thing I got to do. But if we can just take that moment and this is this is one of the main teachings is we we take that moment, even if it's three seconds to breathe before. And that is the difference between responding versus reacting, right? Taking that moment, but also having that compassion, self-compassion for ourselves and having empathy for that other person that we're interacting with. And then so that's the three and the third step is what I call, you know, blameless discernment, right? It is, it's easy for us to judge somebody else or judge ourselves on something, right? Like I said before, nobody intentionally means to mess up, right? So understanding that going, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Instead of judging our child for that or judging our partner or judging ourselves for that, go, oh, A, Empathy, self, or the other, right? And then using that blameless discernment of, I know this is not what you intended to do, but this now, this is where we are, and how are we going to? And that, in, in, in and when you're burnt out, that seems like such a big thing to do and process. But when you start practicing it, right, you practice it in the good times, the moderate times, the not so great times. We keep practicing it, right? Because practice makes permanent. And if we we do that, then we start neutralizing. And then we stop that sort of, because what we say to our kids is what helps develop the little voice inside their head when they become adults, right? And so, yeah, it's heavy shit being a parent. All those things that you're thinking about all the time, right? But if we can, from this burnout, we can say, take the moment. It's okay to vent. Let somebody know that you're just venting. Sometimes it's just, yeah, if you're not a journaler, if you're not, just use the voice on your phone, the little voice recorder on your phone, and reform a message about all these kids are driving me ass and nuts. Just get it out. Get it out of your head. Get it out of your body. Being the son, oh, you have no idea how many times I pull up and I think my neighbors think that, you know, the hoodlums are there because I've got rage against the machine blaring in the car by myself. I think the car is going, and people think, oh, it's probably 17. And then there's this 55 year old mom, <laughs> you know, it was a good rage. And let me tell you, it feels good. And it's all those little things that we can do that help not necessarily prevent it because it's not something that's going to go away, but we can mitigate it and we can lessen it. And then also when we acknowledge it,
0: we take its power away. Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I love how you mentioned that. Like sometimes it's just something like turning up the music and there's, there's science behind that, right? Like that activates our vagal tone. It gets our nervous system engaged, so that we can then calm down. It gives our brain one thing to focus on. Um, what other strategies do you personally use to reduce your burnout? Personally?
1: Oh, well, the first one is it's that self empathy right? It's the empathy for self. It's the, ah, oh, God, I am, you know, I'm sorry, like, just, you know, I, you know, word of lie, January has been a hard month for me. Um, a lot of things are going on and, and I'm, I'm very slow to start and I hear all the things in my head of all the things that I should be doing, could be doing. And I'm just like, no, because I'm actually choosing to have those thoughts, right? I'm, I'm beating myself up. Why am I doing that? So it's the, the awareness. So it's just being aware and using those negative emotions or those, you know, I Yeah, negative emotions, they don't make you feel good. Using those as alert systems and realizing that they're there and acknowledging it. And if it's something that I can, like, it, again, what's the worst that's going to happen if I don't do this?
0: I like that. I call that intentional catastrophizing, (laughs) because, and that's one of my main strategies too. Where I go, what is the worst that could happen in this situation? And then I I will flesh that out. And sometimes I'll take it really far, where I'm like, okay, yeah, if if I let this go on long enough, you know, the house will burn down. My children will grow up to be hoodlums. (laughs) Like, but at least then I can then kind of. Figure out where along that spectrum my line in the sand needs to be. And but did you realize that you that. started? Did you realize that you started to
1: laugh? Right, and that's the thing, too. It's like you—that is one of the the techniques that you know I teach. It's like, yes, what is the worst that could happen? And then you start to catastrophize it, and you realize how silly it gets, and then you start laughing. Right, that. You know, oh, you know, someone listening could be like, oh, that sounds really silly. But you practice it and you do it and you realize that we make things so heavily weighted and monumentous when they're not. And we, we are our own worst enemies. At that so, if you can just sit there and go, okay, I'm gonna go like a runaway train and just take that thought, see how far it goes. You only get about two or three or four points well, maybe four or five points in there, where suddenly you're like, oh my god, the odds of that happening, and you start to laugh. And that laughter right there, there's a chemical reaction that helps shift that emotion, right? And puts some of the dwarfing and that feeling and so cool, manifesting exactly. And I'm a self-proclaimed neuroscience geek. I studied neuroscience. I've been in the, you know, that industry for so long. And there's a reason why it's so important. And when you understand that, like our brains aren't these solid pieces of tissue, right? They're malleable. People hear about neuroplasticity and they're like, what is that? And really, and I said, what it is, is when you understand that, yes, change is hard. Change is really hard. Nobody likes to change. We're creatures of habit. We become so comfortable with being uncomfortable that it becomes comfortable again. Yes. Right. Come and it's just reason. like, a, exactly. And it's like a footpath, right? So we have, we, you see this footpath, it's wide, it can be bumpy, but it's going somewhere. And the reason why it's such a prominent because we're using that all the time that is like the synapse the neurons in the brain right and then suddenly we're like well yeah okay here's the parking lot there's a footpath to the lake but it's like sort of like an l shape it's two sides of a square i want to go to a more direct route but there's no path right so it's uncomfortable you start walking and making your new path yeah you trip over some rocks you do this but the more that you use that you know, that path that you're building, the more the grass gets trumpled down, the more comfortable it becomes. And the more on the old path, the new, the grass starts coming up. So it stops, it's, it it starts to regrow or lessen, right? The, the path, I'm botching this example.
0: <laughs> I get you that the old path starts to weaken, it's right? To, like- it
1: starts to weaken and in it. And the more that you're using this new path, The more that you're strengthening those connections, right? And, and I won't geek out on you, but it's, it's the myelin and it's the, it's the conductivity of, you know, the impulses that are going between those two neurons. And the more that you use them, the more the, the myelin sheath gets thicker and the more it insulates and the more, the faster that that conductivity happens, right? And, and builds and it becomes quicker and then becomes more automated, right? But, and then the old path starts growing over. So when, and that's why it always takes like around six to seven weeks, right? And people are like, I want to come and see you and I want to talk. And yes, if it's information gathering or they're looking, you know, to find somebody or they're looking to understand a, you know, a diagnosis, yes, we can do that one on one. But when people are working with us, it's not like one or two answers. Yes, we can. And you can go to TikTok and you could to all these amazing places with all these amazing people, right? But I said, do your research first, because what is being suggested, um, where is that support? And that's because you need that practice. You need that repetitive. You need that accountability. You need it. Yes. You need that support with, it's a community, you know, like parentability, like your community where there's other people talking in there to reinforce. It does take a village. It takes a community. It takes a posse. It takes a tribe. I call it a clan, my Scottish background, a clan. Right. And we're all there to support each other, to do it and remind each other because we are human. We are perfectly imperfect. Right. And if we keep that in mind, we're perfectly imperfect. We get, we empathize and you know have self compassion for ourselves and others, right? And we practice and we practice it not only, you know, in the moment, but pre and post, because that, that's a part of the neuroplasticity is you learn, so. oh, that didn't really work well this time. It's not going to work the same time, every time. It's not like going to a McDonald's where you get the same burger every time, the same taste every time, right? It's its people change. People have different moods. People, you know, so sometimes we have to adapt a little bit. So it didn't work this time. Do you throw it out? No. It's like, oh, I, what did I learn? And that's the neuroplasticity. What did I learn? It's a growth mindset. And when we have a growth mindset, which isn't, yes, it's positive. but You can have positive uh, growth and fix at the same time. We all do. But just being open to learning. And we make mistakes as parents all the time, right? Some of them own them in front of your kids. Some of them don't own. Right? <laughs> We just kind of make mental note, like, "Ooh, yeah, I'm not going to do that again," right? Yeah, yeah. We could talk for hours and hours and hours, but it's burnout is a is a serious thing, especially when you're raising kids with complex challenges. Whether you're, you know, your kids are atypical or neurodivergent, right? It's there's challenges, and no one said it was going to be easy. Yet we still became parents, and we just have to be gentle with ourselves. Except that we are not. Immortals and super beings that we do actually have to rest and it's sleep I don't know about you. I don't get the sleep that I I used to get or should get Right. My kids are autistic and there's a lot of sleep issues. I'm also menopausal, right? Like but we do the best that we can When we can with what we have and until we know better right? And once we know better then we do better and better, it doesn't mean a judgment. It just means an improvement, a tweak, an enhancement,
0: yes, an optimization, that. right? I love that. Cause I often will say that quote Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. But I think a lot of parents do interpret it like that. Well, you know, better as in something that is this like complete rewrite versus just, mm, it's just a, a tweak it's just a, a slight path correction it's a slight you know moving of what we're doing um my son had his first sleepover attempted his first sleepover this past weekend and um he it was all going really well. You know, I prepped him out the wazoo for it. I was all like up in his grill with a social story about how we behave at other people's houses and how sleepovers kind of work because he'd never done it before. This was his first time by himself. It was all going well until about 1030 at night when I got the call saying he's very upset and he wants to come home. And I was like, okay. So I went and I got him. And when he got in the car, I realized he was still fully dressed. And I was like, 10:30 at night. Why don't you have your PJs on? And he was like, "Oh my gosh, I forgot." And I was like, "What do you mean you forgot? Did you brush your teeth?" And he was like, "No, I forgot." And I was like, "You've been doing your bedtime routine since you were an infant. Like how do you what do you mean you forgot to put your PJs on and brush your teeth?" And so when I called the mom later, I was like, "I think the reason he couldn't sleep was because he wasn't in his PJs and he hadn't brushed his teeth." And she was like, "Oh my god, I feel so bad." Um, they fell asleep watching a movie and then he woke up and came upstairs crying because he didn't, he woke up and he didn't know where he was. And she was like, I was so focused on calming him down that it didn't occur to me to suggest that he put his PJs on and his brush his teeth and kind of redo his bedtime routine to see if that helped calm his body down. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I feel so awful that I ruined this. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is just, it's not your fault, and it's not his fault. It was a learning experience for him that, yeah. hey, at night, I have to be responsible for putting my own damn PJs on. <laughs> and it was a learning experience for her, too, that, oh, if my child has a friend over and they haven't done a bedtime routine, that has to be a priority. And so it was it was a blameless situation, right? It was something that we have to tweak and try again another time. And so I love that where it's like, you know, when you know better, you do better. And it's not that better means like burning it to the ground and starting over. It just means taking the lessons as they come and trying again. And also too, it's it's know better, do better. It's the perfection,
1: right? And 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 if this is a topic for another day. You know, I can talk about so many things and, and I look forward to that. Opportunity, but that's where also, too, um, the way that we talk to our kids, like, you no know, better, do better, or we, you know, somehow that can set an expectation and an unattainable expectation because somebody thinks it's perfect, right? It's not a new better, next time meeting. And then in that moment, the parents is better means I'm going to, me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make, I'm going to talk to the parent to say, can you just make sure that before they, you know, next time, you know, hopefully there's a next time that they, they get their jams on first, you know, and then brush their teeth. But if they're having snacks, that's okay. Like if they don't brush their teeth one night, like that's okay. But maybe prep right? up or say, okay, let's, let's just do this. Right. And so, and, and that's that collaboration, right. It's the, you know, it's the, you had that conversation with your son. And then, so now your son can say, you know, you, that's a part a of the of prep, right? Yeah, it, or you know, my kids—they're—they're they're just like, "Oh, mom, if you—you know—if you give me another sticky note or a note or an alarm on my phone, I'm gonna—I'm like, okay, I get it. But like, where's that balance? I don't want to be, you know, like a lot of parents that I work with—they don't want to be helicopter parents, and you—and it's such an '80s term. And there was like, oh, a helicopter parent. No, but really it's that, it's that balance of when to, and again, it's like, and all this leads to burnout, right? Because we're doing so much all the time. And it's the knowing when it's, it's like ebb and flow. When do I, I see something coming and I have to let my kids quote fail or botch it up. Right. But I'm not going to like, well, dude, you're on your own. You know, it's it's these things that we do. So it is a juggling act. It's a balancing act. When can I come in and support? It's this. You know, I, I talk a lot about hats, right? It's I'm going to put a hat. I'm going to put my venting hat on. I'm going to put my parent hat on. I'm going to put a coach hat on, a consulting hat on. You know, with I, I always encourage families to you know have these powwows, have these conversations in neutral emotional times, right? To say, okay, well, you know, let's, let's have these, you know, let's have these things. Let's call them a hat or a shirt or a spoon or a baton, whatever you want to do and, and, and safe and, and set those up. And we're not going to remember all them all the time, but just say, mom, I need you. Like I, my kids say, mom, I need you to have your coach hat on. Right. Cause that's where it's listening. Right. And, and not telling what to, this the consultant hat we, we have. So the clients we have, it's like the, the problem solving, right? The coach hat is the listening, right? The parent hat is the, it's the, um, protective and the emotional and the, you know, mom, stop hugging me so hard, you know, like the, the being the soft place to land. But also I can say, I have to put my parent hat on because, This is a hard stop, right? I have my coach hat on because let's work this out. Let's, it's more collaborative listening, right? And then, oh, I have to have the consultant hat on because I see that you're struggling with this. I have some suggestions. What do you think, right? So whatever those hats are or those, you know, rules are that the families, you know, come to an agreement with right it's it's not a dictatorship and also too it's the age of the child you know your kids right that plays a big role but we can have grown-up conversations with younger children using that language right that's also a way that we model and teach our children to be successful resilient kids or right? it's how we speak to them so age is not a hindrance it's a um An adaptation of how we're gonna talk, right? So, and when we when we have those conversations with our children, and it's never too late to start those conversations, right? But when we have those conversations to say, what do you need, or how can I help? We have had those conversations as parents or in a, a family session where we've come to these understandings and we trust in ourselves enough in our parenting abilities to that we are teaching and modeling for our children the best that we can and that also give our children the opportunity to take what they are learning and make it their own because they're not carbon copies right they're not carbon copies so they make it on their own and it becomes collaboration we're not willy-nilly right we're not saying, yes, here are the keys to the kingdom and off you go, but that's the whole, you know, with the families that I'm working with, we said, let's take it into a collaboration because collaboration is calming collaboration. You can still have differences of opinions, but it's respecting the other party as well. Right. Yeah, and collaboration and, is not compromise. <laughs> exactly. Ca- yeah. Oh Yeah. No, many hard stops. That's my, that's my favorite. I, I said this three times already in our conversation today. Hard stop. And that is my code, code word for my kids. Hard stop. No, hard stop. Right. So you develop these things and, and yes, things change. Our children grow up, situations change. And so, you know, what worked before sometimes doesn't always work the next time. And it's the, it's, I always tell, kids. It's like, it's like organizing your kitchen cabinets or your closet, right? You organize and everything looks really neat and tidy and it works in a system. And then life gets messy and it gets messy again. Then we have to take time and reorganize again. Right. And that's the same in relationships. Right. And that's the whole thing about family empowerment and in having that healthy family communication. It's that, you're constantly going in. And that's the thing is parents, a lot of times, and this is part of the burnout too, is that we, we, we get up to a certain point and things are working and we have a chance to breathe and we just put our head down and go right. And life happens. And sometimes that's in a span of a few months or a few years. And then suddenly what happens is, you know, shit is hitting the fan and you are so overwhelmed and exhausted and you can't and we, you find yourself in this crisis is a heavy term, but you know, a, a situation in circumstance where nobody's happy and no one is thriving and no one is flourishing. Right. And so we have to go back to that main caregiver. And when you are feeling burnt out, it's the last thing you want to do, but those are the little things that you can do for yourself that we talked about, you know, the music and the, the things that, you know, give you that breath of fresh air and you can start coming back. And, but the thing is though, the harder that you work at these things and the more challenging they seem at the beginning, they become easier and then they become a way of life for your family. So Absolutely. it's all that hard work that you've done in the earlier years and mid years that pays off later on, right? Oh, my God. If I was listening to this and I didn't have any children, I would not have children. <laughs> <laughs> I love
0: me, but I love my kids and I love being a parent and I love what yeah. I do. But, sometimes no, but I this think- is a reality and we don't talk about it enough, right? Exactly. So thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with us because I think it's going to be very validating for a lot of parents who are listening that you know, this is something we feel, even as professionals, we feel too, and we deal with on a regular basis. So thank you so much for being here. So as we wrap up, can you tell us, Alex, how our listeners can find you, reach you, connect with you? Uh, well, the
1: the easiest way is alexleach.com. Alexleeach, oh not .com. Oh my goodness, you won't get me. Alexleeach.ca. All right, do that again. CA, or Google Alex Leach, you know, consulting and deconsulting, but that's that's where I am and it's on Facebook, it's everywhere else, but just go there. Ask Alana
0: if you forgot. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well thank you so much for being with us today, Alex. It's been a wonderful conversation and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Oh, you too. Thanks again so much. Bye everyone. You've been listening to The Mudroom, Uncommon Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us live every Wednesday afternoon at 1pm Eastern, 10am Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share and connect with us in the Parenting Posse Facebook group. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.